So, are you ready to be inspired? Awesome. Directly home from New York and the Omega Institute, our senior pastor, our director, is filled with love, with passion, and he is inspired. Please welcome back Reverend Patrick Cameron. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Here we are, yeah. Isn't Sean great? Wow. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to stand and sing with me, please feel free to do that or stay seated. However, you're guided in this moment. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very invite you in this moment to simply feel your heart. There's one heart. There's one activity. There is one. We are the waves of the infinite in the ocean of the infinite. We are the godlings the infinite's emissaries. And in that recognition, each time I turn my awareness and my consciousness and my being to that idea, I am shifted and changed. I enter the conversation at a deep level and I listen. I listen through my heart, my being. Whatever's alive for me in this moment, I know is right and perfect as I know it is for you. And so whatever we seek in this moment, whatever the experience may be or the answer or the direction or the doorway or the the word or the thought or the note in the song that inspires a new idea and gives birth to a new consciousness this day, I say yes to all of it and any of it. And I know that I work with it and it works with me. I give thanks to be in this beautiful concert and ballet of co-creation with the infinite. And so I give thanks knowing every good thing necessary for this moment to be successful is here now for me, for you. And with that said, I need not know how. I just stand in that beautiful expectancy of joy and celebration of life with you in this moment. With that said, I give thanks. I release these words into this infinite law that can do no other thing but say yes. And with that said, I give thanks. And together I invite you to say with me, and so it is. Please be seated. Thank you. Yeah, it's a beautiful day, huh? Just glorious. As Reverend Catherine Cardinal mentioned, uh, I spent, Laura and I were in New York, um, came back last, low or late last Monday, and we were at the Omega Institute. The Omega Institute was started by Elizabeth Lesser and Richard Alpert uh, 34 years ago. 
And it's a very interesting setting. It's sort of spiritual camp for grown-ups, but there's kids there as well. And you can do things like trapeze. There's a guy there every summer that does it. He's from Ringling, Ringling Brothers, and he puts people through the, the drill of trapeze. So they, they strap you in, and then you have the experience of flying with the greatest of ease through the air and overcoming your fears, if that's your... If you're guided to that, I haven't done the trapeze yet, but uh, maybe in my next lifetime when I have a younger body, I might give it a shot. <clears throat> anyway, but uh, it's quite an interesting experience. And so we spent a, about two days, with, uh, we were Friday night, Saturday, and part of Sunday with Elizabeth Lesser. And uh, she's an amazing woman. And she wrote the book Broken Open that we used last year and also has a wonderful book I'm using right now called The Seeker's Guide. And it's a beautiful, beautiful book about spirituality. And what Elizabeth says about spirituality, I think it's a good definition. She said, spirituality is really our longing, anyone's longing. And she has been exposed to all of the paths. And one of her great, great influences was a Sufi teacher. And you know how much I love the Sufis, because the Sufis are the Islamic lovers of God. I believe that we in New Thought are the, the Christian form of what the Sufis are. We're the lovers of God. We're the lovers of celebration of life and the ongoing mystery of it. So, uh, but what she said was that spirituality for her was anyone seeking to understand life, understand themselves, and then the mystery beyond this life when we leave. And I think that covers a lot of it. And so, for all of us, we're here, we're seekers. She, her book, The Seeker's Guide, The Life is a, Spir- a Spiritual Adventure. And it ties in beautifully this week with, I've been using Jeanine Roth's Women, Food, and God, and how for many people, food becomes their their, their, their form of addiction and how they sort of bolt or they leave the, the present moment awareness. And it's an amazing, um, amazing story, her story. She's been doing this work for years and years and years. And the chapter that I was focusing on this week is called Tigers in the Mind. And the, the, what inspired the Tigers in the Mind was she relates to a story in here of a, an author and a friend and they were having a conversation and the friend said to this particular author, I should look up the name, Catherine Ingram tells a story of her passionate presence about a young friend of hers who said, pretend you were surrounded by a thousand hungry tigers, what would you do? And Catherine said, wow, I don't know what I would do. What would you do? Her young friend said, well, I'd stop pretending. <laughs> and so we make up stories, and we've had experiences that become what, how we live our lives from it. And so how do we, how do we deal with those experiences? Because we will pull them along with us. How do we effectively deal with those things? And so the practice I want to talk about today and a bit of the practice that we did when we were with Elizabeth Lesser is about inquiry. And inquiry requires us to be just present with, with what is going on in this moment. It's also inquiry is not about figuring it out. One of the great delights of being at the Omega Institute was there's a lot of different things going on at one time. It, and I think it accommodates about 600 people. There were 110 people in our retreat. And right next to us, we were in the main hall. There's a smaller hall, which is called the Ramdas Library. And in the Ramdas Library was an author and a, and a lecturer and, a, and, a, and another person that is involved with the human potential movement by the name of Thomas More. And Thomas More wrote The Care of the Soul. If you've gone through our practitioner training, it's required reading in our practitioner training. And it's an amazing book. It's a kind of book you can read two or three pages and then you kind of have to put it down because you need to kind of assimilate it. It's very, very rich and wonderful information. And so <clears throat> Thomas More and Elizabeth Lesser shared the, the main stage, which is in the main hall, um, on Saturday night. 
And Thomas More was talking about the idea of... He's written Care of the Soul, and he talked about the soul. And as he started talking about this, I started to relate the qualities and the, and the experience of, of what that means for us. I think when we come together on a Sunday morning, we are the Center for Spiritual Living. But I think on Sunday morning, there's a great deal of soulfulness that goes on. Now, Elizabeth Lesser, the next day, said what Thomas More would call soul, I would call heart. And so it's all semantics. The other great thing about it is to... See, we always want a definition, right? We want a definition of spirituality. We want a definition of consciousness. We want a, and, and so much of it is a mystery. When Elizabeth Lesser was starting the Omega Institute 34 years ago, she was the co-founder, she sent out a questionnaire to 200 prominent spiritual teachers, therapists, psychologists, because she's, she's, she's woven it all together. And she has wonderful... And that's what Thomas More is. He's a psychologist and a brilliant psychologist. And he comes out of the Catholic tradition, and he spoke. I'll, I'll share a little bit about that. But, but it's, it's the melding together of all those different traditions that, that bring uh, the texture of it to it. And he talked about, Thomas More talked about the soul. And he said soulfulness, or the soul, is really having a wonderful meal together. It's, it's like divine dining. And having gone to several of these, we've done this divine dining program, and we're going to do it again. We're looking at next year of how we can... We just know that it's such a wonderful idea, and I have not heard a complaint from anybody who's participated. But it brings us together. We share a meal. And he was a young seminarian in the Catholic Church when he was 14, and he was in Chicago, he tells the story. And this priest came in. His name was Jeffrey O'Brien. He said he came in, and he totally remodeled the sanctuary, the, the, the chapel. He took out all the stuff that was a distraction, and he just put in all this stuff. He put in all these beautiful pictures along the walls that inspired something inspired something within the individual. And then he talked, and he was on fire with music and celebration, and he was on fire with, with being alive in life. And he said that this young priest scared people because he seemed so wild. And then he said to, Tom, to uh, Thomas More one night, I want to take you down to Rush Street. And Rush Street in Chicago is like the, the happening place where everything's going on. There's clubs and bars and all sorts of things that go along with that thing. But it's just alive with people doing things. And he said it was just amazing. He couldn't believe 14 years old he was going to take him down to Rush Street. Oh my gosh, are you kidding? But what he also had was he was completely devoted to his tradition, to his spirituality, to the tenets of what he was asked to do as a priest. But it confused people. How could someone who's holy and spiritual be so wild? But I think it's the melding, and, and, and Thomas More talked about that. It's the integration. And so we can be soulful and have nothing to do with spirituality. Because that's what draws us, that's what calls to us at times, is our soulfulness. And that, that you know, when, when Sean sings his song, we connect, it's, there's a soulful experience there. And when, it's, and when it's married with a spirituality, it's just wonderful and beautiful. You know, and, and, and yet it's, it's beautiful standalone. But it's, and it's all good and it's all God, but they are different. Soulfulness is about heart, it's about connection. Spirituality is truly a mystery. And the inquiry, so today I'm talking about inquiry in this book, in this chapter, Tigers in the Mind. What stories are we making up? And so what she recommends, Janine Roth recommends, is that when the stories show up for us, whatever's alive for us, many times we deflect. I think it is our nature to deflect the feeling. We lose a parent. We're mourning. We lose an opportunity. A marriage ends. A, a career ends. A physical challenge shows up. When we were at this workshop, 110 people. We're called together. Elizabeth Lesser said, you know, you 110 answered the call. And we've come together for a divine right purpose. And it's all right now. She said, we publish 600,000 magazines every year that go out. I get their catalog. Usually I throw it away because I can go online and see what's going on. 
but she said 600,000 catalogs. They started out the Omega Institute, and Omega means the coming together of all thought. So it's a mosaic, and it is such a, a wonderful representation of how we operate spiritually here and what's happening on the planet. We are the leading edge in, on the planet in terms of cultural creatives, giving birth to new ideas, new possibilities. Sean's song this morning about a world that's possible. None of us have come together on a Sunday. If I got up here and told you, you know, I know your life sucks, get over it, suck it up, be happy. <laughs> Pretty inspiring, huh? Because if you're lucky and you suck it up well enough, you're going to be rewarded at the end. And that's kind of the message I got growing up. The beauty of that message that I got was I realized, really? At some point in time, I had to do the inquiry. At some point in time, I had to dishonor my parents and that tradition and say, you know what? I've got to look at this in a different way. I've got to put that down. But it was gradual because it's just you've got to peel yourself away from it. I remember uh, we're doing the, the newcomer class several years ago, and there was a man in the class, and he had been in seminary with one of the traditions. And throughout it, he finally one day came in, and he said, you know, I'm in a process of mourning right now. I'm mourning my old tradition because I realized that it was so near and dear to me, but I realized there's, a pro there's another possibility. But I don't think we have to give it all up. I think when we can go back to our tradition and realize, you know what, they were saying the same thing there. I just wasn't hearing it the same way. It's all there. There's no one right tradition. We're one way. There are many wonderful mystics in many traditions, and that's what Elizabeth Lesser talked about. But in the process, she talked about we were doing uh, the four landscapes. And she talked about the four landscapes for her are the body, physical body, the mind, this, the heart, and the soul. And she, she would, she, what she would call heart, Thomas More called soul. So I think when she was talking about soul, she was really referring to spirit. But it's interesting, the semantics of it. And as she said, she sent out 200 letters to find out what people thought about spirituality. What is your interpretation? She said, all of these leading thinkers, not one person agreed. 200 of them. So if you're worried about the right definition of spirituality or soul, I'm giving you, I'm filtering some information I have, but it might not work for you. So don't throw it away. Ernest Holmes said, we take our good where we find it, leave the rest don't be worried about burning down the building. This isn't a good fit for you. You don't have to burn down the building. You just leave. It's true. We leave so poorly, you know. But anyway, so what Elizabeth Lesser did when we were doing the meditation piece, which was for the mind, she talked about the dignity of the spirit, that all of us are this emissary of the infinite. We are the godlings. We are the droplets of God in the ocean of God or the waves whatever metaphor I can, but we are all, we are all in, the, in the microcosm what God is in the macrocosm. We've been given free choice, free will, we've been given consciousness that we can take in whatever direction we decide. We have been given dominion. It says that in sacreds. In not just the Bible, it says it in every Bible. And so she said that when we sit in meditation, she set it up so beautifully, she said sit with your back straight, your head upright, your feet grounded on the floor, and when you do that, when you sit with your back straight, it opens your shoulders, it opens your heart. And you sit in a dignified position. And what it is, is honoring the spirit. And I'd never heard it expressed that way before. And then the very simple, she did a, a, this Vispana meditation practice with us. And only five-minute meditation, because a few people there had no exposure to any of this. They just read her book or seen her on Oprah. But she talked about the, the, the power of that. When, uh, whenever I watched the... The dog whisperer. I love Caesar Milan. I love what he does with the animals. 
And sometimes when I'm really starting to spin out and I start to growl and somebody's in my food bowl and I'm getting angry, I just go, tsh, tsh, bring myself back, you know, because that's what Caesar does. Tsh, tsh. I mean metaphorically. <clears throat> but it's bringing present moment awareness. It's how he works with the animals. But what he'll take with the, do- with the dogs that have been, um, have been abused in some fashion, either physically or emotionally or spiritually, he holds their tails up. He lifts their tails because when a dog's tail is up, he stands in his dignity. And you see, it doesn't matter whether the mind is changed or the physicality changes. When we stand, when we sit in our dignity, all of a sudden, it activates something different within us. But when I love the idea of sitting in meditation and honoring the divine spirit within me, and I do that by standing straight up and just in the meditation. And so the body is such a wonderful tool. And what Janine Roth is talking about is when we have something that's alive for us, when we have a broken heart, It's not to deflect it and it's not to deny it. It is not to take one of our affirmative prayers and pray over it. I believe the first thing to do for us is to feel it. And so it's feeling it. It's not figuring it out. We'll never figure it out. It was a wonderful, at at the Thomas More when he lectured on Saturday night, it was just wonderful. He talked about soulfulness. He talked about this wonderful priest that represented that mosaic of soulfulness and spirituality. We can be on fire with our gifts and our passions, and, and, and be totally devoted to spirit. They're not, they're not in opposition. And so anyway, he was talking, and this guy raised his hand at the question and answer, and he says, hey, and he was from Boston, so he talked like this. He says, hey, he says, you know, when I have a dream, I like to write her down, because then I, I write her down, I can figure it out. And Thomas More says, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. The guy says, yeah, but if I know what the dream is, then I know what to do. He says, no, 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 no. Don't do that. He said, yeah, write some words down. Write some words down and work with it. But he said, you don't want to figure the dream out. You want to work with it because the answer you may come up with might not be the full answer. It might not be complete, so live in the mystery and let it work and work with it and see what there's there for you because it's ongoing and it's the mystery. And I love that because we're so straight line. It's like we want to consume, like we consume food or we consume anything else. One dream, I figured it out, now I know what to do today. And he said, you want to have, he said, when, when Gregory o- O'Brien, Father Gregory O'Brien put those pictures up on the walls, Art draws us out of ourselves. Beautiful music. Sean singing a song, or Brian McLeod singing a song, or Brown and Sue, or the, the everyday all-stars getting up and saying, it pulls us out of ourselves. There's a, there's, a, there's a magical quality to it. It's a soulfulness. So he said, work with your dream. He said, poetry. You have a piece of poetry and work with it. Don't try and figure it out. Work with it. One of the things Elizabeth Lesser said about it that was so reinforcing for me, she said, when you have a solid and consistent meditation practice, you sit in the dignity every day, and you start to clear away the feelings because any unmet feeling restricts the ability for us to know ourselves. Any unmet feeling restricts the ability for us to know ourselves. So if we're on a spiritual path, how do we understand the world and how do we understand ourselves when we're, when we're bitter and we're angry and we're resentful? And those are human experiences. Our lives are either an expression of our spiritual magnificence or an expression of our unhealed past. And I don't think the unhealed past is a bad thing. That's really the great stuff in our life so that we can, we can transcend and transform that. We're here to transform that. We've got everything we need to, we're equipped to do that. But it's feeling it. Where does it, li- where does it lie? If you remember back to the Trance of Scar- Scarcity by Victoria Castle, she said the same thing. So we're sitting there and we did the four landscapes, the body, the mind, the heart, the soul. And Elizabeth Lesser was talking about 
uh, Eckhart Tolle. Now, Eckhart's book, The Power of Now, is exactly what Janine Roth is talking about with inquiry. What's alive here? What's going on? Why am I feeling this way? And, and pulling on close, because the story we make up about it is like the thousand tigers. Stop imagining. Stop imagining and just be with what is. It's simple. It's simple, but the story that I've told myself for most of my life is if I feel it, it will destroy me. If I start to really have the full experience of this, the depression will just, I'll spin off and I'll never be any good. And that's not the reality because that dignity of spirit that is at the core of our being knows exactly, knows exactly what to do. That's faith, that's trust, it's standing in that dignity. So for people of faith, if we really want to understand the world and understand ourselves, the way to it, and all these great teachers on the planet right now are saying, just look at it. What's alive here? What's going on? Any unmet feeling restricts our ability to know ourselves. And so Elizabeth Lesser was talking about, uh, I don't know if you watched the Eckhart Tolle series that Oprah did, but she was invited, I didn't know this, but she was invited to write the curriculum for that. And so Oprah called her and said, would you fly to Chicago? So every Sunday for five months as they were getting ready to do this podcast with Eckhart Tolle, The New Earth, and, and Oprah, she would fly into Chicago and write curriculum. She'd work with, with Eckhart. And she said the interesting thing about Eckhart's practice, which is exactly what Janine Roth is talking about, being present with what is, the power of now. Eckhart says bring consciousness to it. He talks about the pain body. And so the pain body is the same thing. Where is it showing up in your body? Where are you carrying the, the, the pain? Where are you carrying the, the sorrow or the, the whatever it is, the unmet feeling? Where do you carry it? Because we do carry it. We're, we're just wired to do that until we look at it and pull it close. See, all any feeling wants is just to be pulled close to say, tell me more. Oh, man, that hurts. But tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. And we can do that with ourselves. It's great to have somebody in our lives that will do that. When we're loved unconditionally, you can have somebody help you do that. But it's important for us to do it for ourselves. Tell me more. Where does it show up? So she's flying to Chicago, and she's working with Eckhart's stuff. And she said, the interesting thing is when you fly to Chicago, especially in the wintertime, O'Hare Field is always socked in. There's always delays, and sometimes it's several hours. But she said the interesting thing was that none of it bothered her because she kept working the practice. And she said the remarkable thing was working the practice found out worked. The practice worked. And the practice does work. Now, the spiritual practices and tools that we offer people work as well. Are they superior to other practices? No, they're just practices. But the practices allow us to break through that cycle of repetitive thinking, that, that, that spin that we can get into. She tells a story in here about her, her cat Moxie. I don't know if any of you have read the book, but Moxie is this cat that she adored. And Moxie peed on everything. So she had this love-hate with Moxie. Because she loved him. And every time she got upset, Moxie would bat these beautiful blue eyes. She describes it in the book. And just this beautiful cat that just, you know, she, she would immediately, she'd go from anger to love in a heartbeat because she loved the cat so much. But every time she turned around, Moxie's peeing on something she owns. And they couldn't figure it out. Took her to the doctor and thought maybe she had kidney failure, problems. No, no, this cat is healthy as can be. No problem with the kidneys. And like, what is going on? And finally her friend says, this cat wants revenge for something. It's angry. And, and, the, and the cat would attack the dog, and the cat would attack a bunch of stuff. And then if there was, it was a loaf of bread left out, she would tear the bag open and eat the whole loaf of bread. Anything they left out, it was a, a squash, she'd tear into a squash on the countertop. She'd just devour anything, and just all this stuff she describes Moxie. 
And she talks about how one day they called Moxie and they were shaking the bag of food, which is what Moxie would always respond to the bag of food being shaken, and no, no response. And they couldn't figure out where Moxie was. So finally they found Moxie in the yard under a bush, and Moxie was dead. And she thought, oh my God, I killed Moxie. My hatred killed Moxie. She started making up this whole story about Moxie and, what, and, and her anger for Moxie and on and on and on. And then Moxie froze outside. Well, it was 76 degrees last night outside Fahrenheit. How could she freeze? But all of the stories that she started making up because she was imagining. And finally she realized that with Moxie that none of that had anything to do with anything. She went through this whole thing, making the story. And finally, she went to a friend of hers, and her friend said, why don't we inquire about this, what you're feeling? She said, the first step to inquiry is to drag yourself back from wherever you are bobbing around and come back to your body. It has all the information you need. My body, I asked now, I said, as if the neurons in my brain didn't have a pathway to decipher the combination of vowels and consonants. Yes, she said, because she's still upset about Moxie and, her, and feeling all the guilt about it. Turns out Moxie just died of heart failure, had a bad heart. And the doc said, there's nothing you could do. Had a bad valve. What's going on in your chest, your solar plexus, she asked. And despite the habitual turning away, now is always better than the story about it. Always because there's no way to engage with, move from, or handle the, the toing and froing of a story. She said, as I became more and more curious about the, cl- the clear space, because as she became present with it, there was a clarity that came over her. As I became more and more curious about the clear space, a feeling of benevolence saturated my body. And the room, the house, I understood that Moxie had lived as long as he was supposed to live. We're all going to live as long as we're supposed to live. This is truth. And this, that this death had nothing to do with my value or lack of it. It wasn't a mental understanding. It wasn't a, sin, a sinate knowledge or a whole body certainty. The brightness changed to a thick, dense black, almost palatable, but not sticky substance whose effect on me was stillness and peacefulness. As I sensed into the stillness, I felt boundaryless, immense. I noticed flares of sadness shooting in and out of the darkness. And I'm going to miss seeing Moxie's face, feeling his presence, but that was different from ripping myself apart than believing that what happened should, have, should not have happened or was my fault. I think it's a wonderful explanation of how things happen in our lives. And when we're present with it, we can fully feel it and we can mourn and we can be sad, but it's not sitting there blaming ourselves of should have, would have, what could we have done? How could it have been different? This is my fault. How many times in your life, in my life, have I done that? And, it, and it's an interesting thing, because it's a great story, but it's, it's, it doesn't move us forward. And so to be, be able to pull ourselves present with it, it's practice. It may take months to start to get a foothold on the practice, but it's practice. It's our opportunity. You know, we talk about setting intention. And so if you're, you're spinning in this right now, Elizabeth Lesser said it so beautifully with people when they were going through because there was a lot of powerful stuff going on. And she said, pray for the strength. Now, how we would say that is that I know for myself one life, that life is my life. And the strength to guide me through this feeling is called forth right here and right now. Affirm that where we are rather than push it away, but say, you know what, the, the infinite wisdom that was within me and, and stand in that dignity guides me in this moment, supports me in this moment. What I need to know about this in this moment is made clear. And if it remains a mystery, I'm comfortable with being in the mystery because whatever it is may not be ready for the awareness. God's delay is not God's denial. 
So when we, we do the prayer work, it's already activated. Every thought is a prayer. But what we know about our teaching is that when we're clear about what it is, the intention we set, the universe has a, a more um, rich opportunity to step in. I'll, I'll give you an example of it. We went to, to Rhinebeck from New York. It's 90 minutes north of New York City. And so I wanted to take, I thought, we've taken a train in the past, and it's a bit pricey. And I thought, well, there's a train, there's a, and we were right by the Port Authority in downtown Manhattan. So we said, let's buy play, uh, bus tickets. It's $50 round trip for bus tickets. It's kind of a bargain. So, and I thought it was the express bus, because I went online and I found the, the, the listing, and I said, good, we'll go down to the Port Authority and we'll buy this, this straight trip to Rhinebeck, New York, where Omega is. Our 90 minutes. Well, we got on the bus, and we found out after we got on the bus that it was the local. So the 90-minute trip turned, turned into a four-and-a-half-hour trip. And we got to see all kinds of stuff we never would have seen otherwise. We stopped at every, at every 200 yards, it seemed like we pulled over to let somebody off. <laughs> so we're on the bus, and I, fortunately, we both had books, and I could read on the bus, so we're reading away. And, and uh, we went through the Omega um, experience, and we, it was over at noon on the 4th of July, which is a, just like Canada Day here, as most of you know. And so I didn't realize that the buses didn't run on July 4th. So we raced into town. We hired a taxi so we could be there on time. We're on the bench outside the Beckham Arms Hotel, which is the oldest tavern, oldest tavern in America. George Washington slept there. And we're sitting there, and about 45 minutes after the bus is supposed to arrive, and you know they typically don't run on time, but after 45 minutes, you start to wonder. I went, in, I went online. There was, I pulled out, and I had this wonderful Apple laptop can get on anywhere. My PC could never get on anywhere. This one, I'm sitting on a bench outside of a little local theater across the street, little community theater, and I, I get online and I check the schedule. There's no buses running. So I decide, and I say to Laura, because I'm going to go, now I'm going to go into the Beckham Arms and find out where I can go, what to do. And so I said to Laura, though, as before I went, I said, you know, wouldn't it be great if somebody going to New York City would just give us a ride? It's just 90 minutes straight down the road. An hour and a half will be there. Wouldn't it be great? So I go in and I'm stumbling around inside trying to find a phone number. I'm asking the, the various young ladies there if they know anything, what we can do. Turns out there's a train coming in 45 minutes. So I call the cab driver who had given us a ride from the Omega to the bench and said, Hey, I think we're going to need your help to get to uh, um, the train. And so he says, Okay, give me about 20 minutes. Well, in the meantime, I come back out and here's Laura and there's a guy standing there. And our bags are there with Laura. And this guy's basically picking up Laura. You know, he's, you know she, there were their bags, and she's, she's all alone, and, and she's telling them, well, I need a ride in New York. He said, I can give you a ride in New York. And, of course, I show up, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, I don't know if I can give you a ride in New York. <laughs> so anyway, we get talking with this guy, and he says, well, I says, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a ride, but I'll be back in about 30 minutes. And he seemed a little wired. He seemed just a little, it was just a different energy. We just come out of Omega, and I just thought, hmm, I don't know who this guy is. And anyway... So he said, I'll be back in about 20, 30 minutes. So we sat there a bit, and we're going, should we ride with this guy? Should we go? What should we do? And I, I, forgetting that I'd already set the intention, somebody will show up and give us a ride. So he says, well, I, I, I can't give you a ride because I got a Beagle. And I'm thinking he's saying Beetle. I think he's got a Volkswagen Beetle. And I said, well, there's plenty of room in a Beetle. We have two bags, and there's three people. And so anyway, I, so I call the cab driver. His name is Spike. Now, Spike knows this guy, Richard. They're pals. They're golfing buddies. And I said, Spike, I think we need a ride because your buddy Richard, and your Richard, by the way, wants to know why you haven't called him back because you keep asking, he, he keeps calling you saying he's got a golf time and you don't call him back. And now I'm in the middle of this three-way conversation with two total strangers. So anyway, I, I, tell, I tell Spike, the cab driver, why don't you come and get us? We'll just take the train. Well, in the meantime, a minute before 
Spike shows up with a cat. Here pulls up Richard. And he doesn't have a beetle. He's got a beagle, little puppy dog, in the back of this Subaru station wagon. So I told Spike, I said, you know what? We'll go with Richard. And so we get in the car, and we get our bags in there. And now Richard says, you guys get in. I've got to smoke my cigar. And I'm thinking, this is strange. So he's standing outside the car smoking a cigar for like 10 minutes. And we're both sitting there going, okay, well, this will be interesting. So we get in the car, and I decide I'm just going to ask him questions because I don't really want to get into a deep philosophical conversation in any way, shape, or form. I just want to ride in New York. And so I started asking him questions about himself, which just, he didn't need much encouragement. For an hour straight, he talked. And after an hour, and the only time he stopped, paused was when he needed to take air in, otherwise he would have passed out. He says, okay, that's enough of me talking about myself. Now I want you to tell me what you think of me. So as soon as he said that, the ice was broken. I, just, I knew this guy who had a sense of humor. And it turns out he's a retired, 66 years old, retired musician from New York City, played in some of the biggest symphonies, orchestras in the world. And just a, just a character, told us a story about how he bought the place in, in uh, Rhinebeck. In fact, when we go back, we've got a place to stay now in Manhattan, and we can go up there and do our summers in Rhinebeck with him. And we became great friends in an hour and a half. But it's interesting how when we set an intention and just let it go, how the, right, the synchronicity of the universe shows up. When we got to, to um, Omega, and here's Thomas More. Here's Thomas More, this amazing guy that's just written this classic book called Care of the Soul. I think everybody should have it in their library and work with it. And here he is talking about soulfulness and what it means in our con connection. But for all of us to have the practices in our lives, the reason we do these practices, the meditation, to sit in a, in a dignity, and when we're grounded in that, in the present moment, when we've met all those unmet feelings, the wonderful things that want to bubble up for us have that opportunity. And when I, I look what Elizabeth Lesser has written, and her life is fraught with challenges, and she talks about those things. She talks about Broken Open and writing that and how embarrassing it is for our times to have been such an open book. But it doesn't mean that, that life won't have its, its, cha its challenges. She talked about that. She said life's not a straight line. We know that. Things show up. But to be able to have the practice in our life so we can pull it close and be healthy and in a, be in a healthy relationship with all of it. It's so important. And so inquiry, asking the question, you know, what's, where, and, and not intellectually, but where do I feel this? Where does this show up for me? Where does this show up for me? I recently hurt my back pretty, pretty good. I, I was doing a, an exercise and I overdid it and I hurt my back. And, and I went to the doctor and he said, you've got to take about a month off bef before you can get back into it because if you don't let it heal, you'll keep re-injuring it and it will never heal. I said, that's all I need to hear. So it's been an interesting thing going through that, but it's gotten much, much better. But it was very interesting. And I think we need to meet all of this with, with the great love and the, and the benevolence. At the end of this chapter, she says that, Remember that Janine Roth now, she says, Remember that inquiry is not about discovering answers to puzzling problems, but a direct and experiential revelation process. It's fueled by love and wanting to know who you are when you are not being run by your past. It's like taking a dive into the secret of existence itself. It is full of surprises, twists, side trips. You engage in it because you want to penetrate the unknown and comprehend the incomprehensible. Because when you evoke curiosity and openness with a lack of judgment, you align yourself with beauty and delight and love. And I'm for the beauty and the delight and the love. Epicurus said it 400 years before Jesus showed up. We're here for the pleasure. 
For him, it was a piece of cheese. We're here to celebrate life and live life fully and be able to meet it full on. So I wrote an affirmation this morning as I was thinking about this. Elizabeth Lesser's book is entitled, entitled The Seeker's Guide, Life is a Spiritual Adventure. And so I'm going to read this with you, and I'm going to invite you to repeat it with me. My life is an amazing spiritual adventure. I see good everywhere I look, because everywhere you look is God, and good is just another name for God. I'm grateful for yesterday, because gratitude, everything we bless, expands. I'm grateful for yesterday, all of it, all of the uncertainty, all of the doubt, and I'm grateful for the mystery I'm in right now. I'm grateful for spiritual practice that when I'm diligent enough with it, wonderful things bubble up. Loving this moment and celebrating my amazing future. My life is an amazing spiritual adventure. I see good everywhere I look. I am grateful for yesterday. Loving this moment and celebrating my amazing future. So say it with me. My life is an amazing spiritual adventure. I see good everywhere I look. I am grateful for yesterday. Loving this moment and celebrating my amazing future. Okay, now that we got to memorize, let's do it with some feeling. My life is an amazing spiritual adventure. Yeah, I see good everywhere I look. I am grateful for yesterday. Loving this moment and celebrating my amazing future. And so it is. Blessings, thank you.